because they know that I'm preaching and immediately you fall into the temptation that it's about me or it's about you and it's not, it's about God. It's about God and that's what temptation is all about and that's where we find ourselves this evening in Matthew 4. Last week we were looking at Matthew 3, uh, looking at Jesus' baptism and what that meant to us and how he identified with us through baptism and this evening we're, we're in Matthew 4 looking at the temptations uh, of Jesus and what that means to us, how that applies in our lives. So if you if you brought your Bibles with you, uh, we're in uh, Matthew 4, uh, and it, we'll just read in verses 1 to 11. So then, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands. So you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and the angels came and attended him. So last week we saw Jesus going through baptism, which he didn't really need to do because he was sinless. Here we see Jesus going through temptation, although he was the, the son of God. And you might think, why on earth does he need to go through this temptation at the start of his ministry? But again, it's teaching us, it's showing us how to deal with the devil, how to deal with life, how to deal with this walk as a Christian and in our relationship with God. He was identifying with Israel, God's people of the Old Testament, and he's identifying with us even today. You know, the, the tests and trials that the Israelites failed time and time again in that time of the, of the wilderness. This is who Jesus was identifying with. Yet here was one who would not fail. Time and time again, he would not fail. He would not fail in the wilderness, and he would not fail at the cross. But how can, we, how can I say to you that this is what Jesus is doing? How do we know that, that Jesus is, is mirroring? This is like a parallel passage of the of the wilderness times for Israel. Well, let's just take a look at a little bit about this, this passage. All three of Jesus' responses to Satan come from the same period that they are in the wilderness. Post-Egypt, they've come out of slavery. They are now wandering around uh, the wilderness um, because of their disobedience to God. And, and these three responses from Jesus all come from the book of Deuteronomy. Um, and they were all spoken by Moses to the people as they were moaning and complaining about the things that God hadn't done. And despite him taking them through the Red Sea, despite them uh, being fed, despite them being watered, they were complaining and moaning. They were doubting God. And so this is where these responses uh, of Jesus come from. And it comes very much from this period there. Jesus was fasting for 40 days. The Israelites were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was fasting. He was hungry. He may have been the son of God, but he was human. And 40 days without food would make you hungry. The Israelites were experiencing hunger before God provided for them. Jesus was promising an eternal life. He was promising a new dawn, a new era, a new way of doing things. The Israelites were being promised the promised land to go into Canaan. Jesus, our saviour, was mirroring Joshua 
their savior, their human savior that was going to lead them into the promised land. And Jesus is our savior, promising us a new life and a new way of life. There was a complete parallel here. What the Israelites had failed to be able to do, they weren't able to obey God. They weren't able to, to stand up to temptation. They always turned from God when things got tough. And Jesus was saying, when things get tough, don't turn away from God, but turn into him. So why, why fasting? Why did Jesus have to fast? There are many different ways we could, we could look at this, but what I want to just briefly say about fasting tonight, um, you know, surely being, being tempted by the devil was enough of a test. I don't know about you, but I find temptation hard enough as it is without being hungry. That just makes things even worse. So this was, this was a tough test. So why the fasting? Well, there's two things I want to say. Fasting reveals where our heart is. When you fast, because when we say fast, we immediately think of food, don't we? We immediately think fasting, I'm going to stop eating. Okay, but fasting is, is getting rid of things. It's getting rid of things to focus on God. It's not necessarily food. You couldn't get rid of food for good. <laughs> but it reveals where our heart is. So when you give up food, perhaps when you give up uh, Netflix, you give up social media, you give up chocolate, you give up um, whatever it is that you do a lot of, and you think, you know what, I'm, I'm going to fast this and, and focus on God. It reveals to us where our heart is. Because how quickly we get to God, how quickly we focus on God, also reveals to us the things that control us. So let's just say that you do fast Netflix and you find yourself sweating on the sofa with a remote control in hand thinking, I need, I need some Netflix. It's showing you that Netflix has got a grip on your, on your heart. It's got a grip on your life. So fasting shows us where our heart is in relation to God, how close we are to God. And it also shows us the things that control us. So fast is important. And what we see with Jesus fasting, it revealed that his heart was set on the Father. Wasn't tempted in any way. Didn't make a move in any way. His first thought was scripture, admittedly, but it was all about God. It was all focused on God. So Jesus fasting revealed that he was close to the Father, close enough not to succumb to temptation. His heart was holy and truly submitted to God. And it could be really easy um, as we look at this this passage to think, as I did at the outset, I looked at this and I thought, well, the answer is scripture, isn't it? The answer is scripture. This is what we see here is the devil tempted Jesus three times and three times Jesus just went, just battered up some scripture to the devil and the devil eventually had to leave. But it's not as easy as that. When I looked into it a bit more, I thought, actually, it cannot be that easy. And I don't think it is. You know, you can imagine almost, can't you, that when you get tempted, you think, all, all I need to do is remember some scripture. That's all I'll do. So the devil says to you, you're a sinner. You are a sinner. You're not worthy. You're a sinner. As it is written, because he does that, doesn't he? He reminds you of scripture as well. This is what he did to Jesus. He used scripture. Uh, Jesus, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. You're a sinner. You're no good. Why would God love you? So you come back and you say, yeah, but all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but all are justified freely by his grace through Jesus Christ. Mm, okay, I'll come back out then. But the wages of sin are death. You know you're a sinner. You have sinned. You just said so. You just said to yourself, you're a sinner, and the wages of sin are death. And you come back and say, right, let's give you another one. For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that no one should perish. So no one's going to die. So that you, can, you can do this to and fro, and you can know all the scripture you want. But the devil's been around a long time, and he knows scripture. He knows it inside out. He won't be tripped up by it. Now, for, not for one minute am I saying scripture's not important, and you don't need to know it. Memory verses, knowing your Bible is really important. But memory verses can very quickly become mind things. I know them. But do you live it out and do you actually believe it? Does it make you actually any closer to God? When you say that out, when you speak these things out, do you actually believe it? It cannot be about Scripture. Jesus knew the Scriptures as well. Jesus knew the Scriptures inside out, but it was his closeness to God that helped him not succumb 
to this temptation. But this passage <laughs> reveals as much to us about the types or categories of temptation as it does about how to fight them. There are different types of temptation. But we could go around the room and we can say to everybody, what, what's your temptation? What do you get tempted by? What do you struggle with? And we'd all come up with something different. And I am, we'd all come up with something different in our lives that we think that's what temptation is and that's where I struggle. And before we look at those, before we look at these, these categories, if you like, of sin, uh, not a sin, of temptation, uh, before we look at them, let's look at temptation in general. What, what is it? Well, one thing we know, it's not sin. If you're tempted, it's not a sin. If you think about something, you haven't sinned. It's whether you do it or not. This is what we see with Jesus. Jesus didn't sin by being tempted. The devil tempted him clearly, but it wasn't sin. So temptation is not a sin. So get that out of your mind that, you know, if, if you have a bad thought, if you, if you, but that's really because it all happens in the mind. It starts in the mind. If you start to think those things, don't fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I'm so sinful, I'm so sinful. We are human and we are broken and we will have those chains of thought. It's what you do about it and how you fight it and how you run to God. That's the important thing. So temptation isn't sin. Temptation is anything that the world might present itself to us, that the world might present to us, that aims to replace God's love for us. So temptation is anything that the world might present to us that has the potential to convince us that God doesn't love us, that that's more important. Whatever you're looking at is more important. So think tonight, what is your, what's your comfort? When you get angry, when you get sad, what do you go to? When we know we should be seeking God for our comfort, we should be seeking God for what it is that we need. But what's your comfort? What's the thing you go for? Amongst many things, I've said before, mine is a particular type of cream cake. When I'm sad, when I feel rejected, when I feel low and I'm having a, a pity party, there's one particular type of cream cake and I, I just have to go for, and that's it. And when I, when I don't, when I fight it and when I say, God, I don't want to do this, it sounds crazy, but, but the, the release, the feeling of, of achievement that I haven't done it because it is such an easy thing for me to do. I so say there are many other things, you know, that I could be tempted to do, but that's one thing. So what is it? Just think tonight maybe, what is it, the one thing, there may be many other things that, that you know that you go to rather than run to God when the chips are down, when you're tempted, when things are tough. Something else we know about temptation is that it, it will always be around. It will never stop. From the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve to the wilderness to the, with the Israelites to us today and every day, temptation will always be knocking at our door. And it comes right from the battle plans of the enemy. He wants to tempt us into believing that God doesn't care. He wants to just pull us far away enough from God that we just go cold and we don't really care anymore because God doesn't really care about us. That's what he's trying to do. And in any battle or war, you must know your own strengths and weaknesses and you must know the, the strengths and weaknesses of the enemy. Well, Satan is the accuser. He is the father of lies. And we read in the Bible that he is prowling around like a lion looking for victims. So that's one thing to know is that he is always looking. He is always trying to trip you up. So don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Know that it's coming. So that means we need to be ready. If you know something's coming, you need to be ready. Your mind needs to be alert. And what does he do? He takes truth. We can see here in this passage when he talks to Jesus, he even uses scripture when he's trying to convince Jesus that he's doing the right thing. How often have we taken scripture out of context to fit our own agenda? You think, oh, I'm doing the right thing because this is, what the, this is what the Bible says. And this is what Satan will do. He'll try and use truth and twist it or he'll just outright lie to you. And that's where scripture is important. We need to know the truth. We need to know the promises of God, what God says about us and him. 
And that leads us on to the second one. Identity versus insecurity. You need to know who you are in Christ. Because the devil will do everything he can to tell you that God doesn't love you. That you're nobody. That you're worthless. That you're a sinner. That God doesn't really care about you. He will do everything he can to convince you of that. But your identity is that you are a son or a daughter of Christ. You are a prince or a princess of the most high God. That is who you are. And we need to live in that and believe that and know that. So when temptation comes, we go to the one that we know loves us. I was just talking to, to Jeff before the service because this message has been going around in my head so many times over this last week. It could have changed so many different ways. But the simplest thing I could think of with temptation is battling temptation is it's going for the thing that you know is best. You've got a choice to do two things. Someone gives you a choice to do two things that you love. You should always go for the thing that you love the most. And so if we make God the thing we love the most, if we get into a relationship with God where we love him so much more than anything else, when anything comes along to try to tempt you to, to go elsewhere, you're like, no way. This is what I love. This is what I love doing. I'm not going to do anything else. And this is a battle we face with the devil. He would try anything to get in between and lie to you and tell you that God doesn't care, that he doesn't love you. So what are the main areas, these categories of, of temptations that we face? There is... Um, in 1 John 2, 15, there's a really helpful kind of, there's one uh, list of three things here that are, I think are really helpful. Um, just trying to find it now. Know your Bible, he says. It's coming. Let's talk amongst yourselves for a minute. Here we are. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If Anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, that's one, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So the lust of the flesh, the things that you really want to do, what you really would like to say to that person, how you really feel about them, the things that, you, that guttural, this is what I'd really love to do, the lust of the flesh. Then there's the, the lust of the eyes, the senses, the things that look good, that feel good, that taste good, the things that, that really draw us in. And then there's the pride of life, pride, the thing that makes it about us, how great I am, how wonderful I am. There's a great list there in, in one, uh, John 2.15. But there's also um, there's a book that I've read that, that Jeff gave me, um, this Catholic priest, Henry Nguyen. And don't get hung up on the Catholic, he's a real, real man of God. Henry Nguyen in his book, in the, in the Name of Jesus, he helps us identify these three main areas or categories of temptation and how we might relate to them. And they are relevance, being relevant, popularity, and power, and control. So you start with relevance, and we'll look at the, the three temptations that Jesus faced. The first one says, if you are the son of God, this is relevance, being relevant. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, Jesus goes straight back to God again. It's about God. Whatever you're trying to tempt me with, I'm going back to God. But this relevance, look at what I can do. I matter. I make a difference. I'm relevant. This is who I am. This is where I fit. The world says we can take care of ourselves. We don't need God. There's no need for church. There's no need for a minister. We're in control. We know what's going on. We're relevant. So we try harder to be relevant. As Christians, we try harder to be relevant because the world says it doesn't need us. I don't want to hear your message. I don't need your God. I don't need your church. So we are tempted to be relevant. We move more towards the world 
to be relevant than we do stand at being irrelevant or looking like irrelevant to the world when the truth is we are absolutely relevant when we stand in Christ because Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. So there's this danger of trying to become relevant. And it's fine to be irrelevant because it's not about us or what we can do. It's about God and what he has done and what he will do. The truth is that the whole world feels irrelevant. If they're honest, they feel irrelevant. Behind the, the mask, the public mask of the influencers, the politicians, and the celebrities, there's a deep need for them to be relevant. That's why they do what they do, to, to work out who they are and why they exist. So when they're faced with it, they capitulate against their better judgment, and they swim with the tide of culture. Even when they know something's wrong, they will go with it because they need to stay relevant. We need to be careful that we don't just try and be relevant. When Satan challenged Jesus, Jesus refused, saying it's God that we need. And not just as well as, but more than, but alone. There are things of this world that we need. There are things we need food. There are things that we need, but it's God that we need. God is not irrelevant. God is the most relevant subject in this world. And we have it. We own it. We are, we are part of it. We are part of this story, and it is not irrelevant. We do not need anything from the world to make us relevant. That the temptation is to believe that we matter more than God. And that what he says about us needs assistance in some way. We need to complete ourselves in another way. The thought that in seeking something else, we'll be satisfied. We've sung it tonight. He is enough. He is always enough. Everything we need comes from him. So let's not be tempted to be relevant. The second one Nguyen talks about is popularity. And we see the second test of Jesus. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, there he goes again, twisting scripture. He will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Do something amazing. Show people your worth. Show them who you are, how great you are, your value. Get your affirmation and praise. Look how great I am. The need to continually prove ourselves, to display and revel in our achievements, to be the hero, to be the one that makes the difference, to be the one that everybody loves. I've been promoted, I've qualified, I lead a team. I'm great, I am, and everybody loves me. Doing things in our own strength, <laughs> and then when we succeed, we take the glory. And then when we fail, we blame God, because we want to be popular. It's Jesus who heals, it's Jesus who saves, it's Jesus who restores. Jesus is Lord, not us. He is the popular one. He is the great one. The temptation here of popularity is to believe in our own hype and to revel in our own popularity and achievement when in fact everything we are and everything we have, we owe to God. And lastly, Nguyen says, power and control. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus goes back to God again, straight away. No argument, no discussion. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Jesus was offered all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus knew that one day they would be his through his obedience to God. 
on the cross. It says this in Philippians 2, uh, verses 8 to 11. You'll probably be very familiar with this passage. But Jesus knew this was coming. Jesus knew that it was coming his way anyway. So this is Philippians 2, verses 8 to 11. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This was coming Jesus' way, the, the nations kneeling, bowing down before him, worshiping. This was coming to Jesus, but at a cost. Jesus was going to have to go to the cross to be sin, to pay for our sin. This is what Jesus was going to have to do for the world and the kingdoms to worship him. So Satan here offers Jesus an easy way out. Power without sacrifice. I'll give it all to you. You don't have to go to that cross. You know that voice? You don't have to do that. Don't open your Bible. Don't pray. Don't go to church. You don't need to do that. I'll show you a good time. I'll show you what life can be like. And this is what he's doing to Jesus. You can have the power without the sacrifice. Jesus, Son of God, just worship me. All be yours. No pain, no suffering. I'll give it all to you. All you've got to do is worship me. All you've got to do is forget God. Go into the world. Forget God. Go and seek your desires. Forget God. Succumb to all these temptations. And you can have whatever you want. Our temptation here is to pursue of power and control. The way to God's will in our lives is down and not up. See, the world talks about upward mobility. Get educated. Get a better job. Get more money. Get a bigger house. Get better friends. Upwards mobility. Just keep climbing. Just keep going up and getting further and further away from God. See, the kingdom plan, God's plan, is downward mobility. It's going down. Down to humility, to obedience, to sacrifice, and picking up our daily cross like Jesus picked up his. The temptation is seeing worldly success. The, sense, the temptation is to see success in pound signs and the amount of bricks we've got and the amount of cars we've got, the amount of people that love us. That is the danger. But God calls us to be humble, obedient, and sacrificial, and loving. <laughs> and one of the dangers of this temptation is that we can replace love with control and power. Where we're supposed to love people, we try and control them. They're easy substitutes for the hard task of love. Loving is not easy, is it? Loving people is not easy. I know I'm not easy to love. I know other people aren't always that easy to love. You've heard of the, the EGRs, the extra grace required, the TTLs, the tough to loves. But we're all like that. We all need extra grace. We all need a little bit more love. We all need that. But it's easier to exert power and control over people than to love them. See, Jesus asked a question, do you love me? He asked Peter three times, do you love me? He's saying that to you, do you love me? Jesus says, do you love me? And all the while, we like James and John are saying, what about me? Can I sit on the left of you or the right of you? Where can I bask in your glory, Lord? What about me? Where, where, where are you going to use me? What team do you want me to lead? Where are you going to use me? Do you love me? That's what Jesus wants to know. Do you love me? It's not about love. It's not about power. It's not about control. See, power in the name of God is dangerous. Power in the name of God is dangerous. You think of the Crusades 
the Inquisitions, even the Reformation. While they claimed to be about true love of the true God, there was far more power on display than love. They all had the right motives. They all started off with the, the right thought. But there's a lot more power and a lot less love. Interestingly, God wants us to love him. With God, it's not about power. It's about love. He's got enough power to make us love him. But he doesn't do that. He wants us to love him. And that's what love is about. But we can be tempted to want to control people. So let's not be tempted by power or control, but leave it to the one who has all the power, but is love himself and chooses to love us rather than make us. So those are the three things that new one says. And, and you might think they're a bit off the wall, they're a bit weird, they're a bit strange, you know, to talk these, these broad strokes of temptation. But if you, if you follow the thread of your temptation, if you follow it back and follow it back and follow it back, it comes back to a heart issue. Every time it comes back to a heart issue. It's not about your desires. It's not what you want, the way you were made. It comes back to a heart issue. How much do you love God? If you love God more than anything else, you won't be or you won't succumb to temptation when temptation comes. It won't happen. Now, I've got some, how we do have time? I'll be very quick. I've got some practical tips um, that I love, really, that I think are good about temptation. The first thing is, love God. That's the best thing you can do about temptation is love God more than anything else. If you love God more than anything else, anything else that's offered you will pale into insignificance compared with God. We've sung it tonight. We've sung it. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What he has is better than anything else this world has to offer. Firstly, pray to God. Sounds easy, doesn't it? But pray to God. But be specific about your weaknesses. Where do you succumb? Where is your weakness? So, you know, it's like if you've got a castle and the wall's been broken down and you rebuild it, it's never going to be the same. It's going to be a weakness. So if you've succumbed in the past, whatever that problem is, pray to God. Strengthen me in that, Lord. Strengthen me. Make me aware. Pray to God and be specific. Flee right away. You know, if you've clicked too many times on your phone, if you've looked too much at the wrong thing, if you've eaten too much, if you've slept for too long, get up and do something about it. Be physical. Flee right away. Get away from it. Recognize it. When you recognize it, get away from it. Call a friend. Accountability and prayer. Share it with a trusted friend. This is what I struggle with. This is how and where I get tempted. So they know, they're aware of where you struggle. They can be that voice in your ear, that nudge on your arm, and they can pray for you in those quiet times. Develop a plan. What will I do when this happens? When this happens, this is what I'm going to do. What can I do to prevent it from happening? What are the triggers? What are the things? If I watch this particular type of movie, is it going to happen again? Maybe try fasting. See what controls you. See what rattles you. Try giving some stuff up and see what has got a grip on you. See what it is that, that really tempts you. But I just want to leave it tonight before we're, we're just going to re- respond shortly. So I just asked the, the band to come back up and, uh, and lead us in worship again. But if one thing you take away from this about temptation, what Jesus did, especially in this last temptation, was he concentrated on God. It was all about God. If it's all about God, nothing else matters. It's all about God. I'm not interested in these other things that tempt me because it's all about God. There's a verse in the Bible. I'm going to read you the second half and see if you can finish it for me. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's right. Who can remember the first half of that verse? Well done, Amy. Good start. (laughs) Submit yourselves then to God. Submit yourselves to God and then 
resist the devil and he will flee from you. If you love God first, nothing the devil will offer you will compare. If you love God more than anything, nothing else will compare. So submit your hearts to God. Temptation, it's all about the heart. Fasting revealed where Jesus' heart was. It was submitted to the Father so that nothing was offered him could possibly tempt him. So perhaps tonight as we, as we worship, tonight as we reflect on this, where is your heart? Is it fully submitted to God? Do you love God that much that nothing else that's offered you will compare? Do you love him that much? And if not, press in tonight. Ask him. Tell him. I need help. And I want to love you more. Let's not be tempted by the cheap versions of love that the world offers us instead of the real deal. Let's pray. Let's stand together as I pray for us and then we're going to respond to God as we worship. Lord, Lord God, I want to thank you for Jesus. I want to thank you for the things that he did so we don't have to. I want to thank you for the things he went through to show us how we can do it better, how we can love you better, how we can walk this walk better. But Lord, we know in all of this, it's all about you. We need you to be able to achieve anything, whether it's defeating temptation, whether it's walking this walk, whether it's raising a family, whether it's holding down a job, whether it's teaching other people. In anything that we do, we need you. So I just pray tonight as we, as we worship as we reflect on these words tonight about how to defeat temptation, I pray that we would all submit our hearts to you. Would, you. would you just show us all tonight? Would you put your finger on that thing? What's that thing that keeps tripping us up, Lord? What's that thing that pulls us away from you? We may not even be aware what it is right now. We might not even be able to think what it is. But Lord, would you, by your Holy Spirit, right now, would you just put your finger on our heart? As I said, that's, I want you to get rid of that. I want you to work on that with me. Because all we know we can't do it on our own. We need you. We've been singing it tonight. We need you. We sing that song every hour. We need you. Temptation comes every hour or more. And we need you. So Lord, I just pray as we worship you now, as we submit our hearts to you, Lord, that you would help us to overcome temptation. Like Jesus came back to you every time. It doesn't matter what you offer me. It's about God. It doesn't matter what you try and give me. It's about God. Don't know what you want me to do. It's about God. So I just pray, Lord, that we would make this about you. We would make this life, this walk about you. And anything else this world has to offer will just pale into insignificance. So help us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
Oh.
I just want to say tonight is, um, is be aware. Be aware that we will be tempted. Be aware. C.S. Lewis says in, um, in the Screwtape Letters, he talks of this story of, uh, of a senior demon talking to a junior demon. That's kind of the nature of the book. And he says he spent 20 years working on this guy, keeping him from God. And this guy picked up a book. And as he was reading the book, the demon could see that he was, his, the scales were going to come off his eyes. He was, he was going to suddenly see who God is and remind him of God and pull him towards God. And he said to the 